to us and these are the main reasons on why it's it's a very attractive destination for um, the the applicants to to be there because it allows family to migrate it has a cultural diversity so i i'm sure every person who's attending today would have somebody or the other who are related and, and at the moment are in us um, competitive personal tax rates the overall standard of living is fantastic uh, to be offered especially to your uh, children and your offsprings the infrastructure is one of the other reasons why sometimes clients would prefer to enter there. The entrepreneurial spirit, you know, all these big, big companies like Google, uh, etc., all come from the US, and that makes it more uh, preferred destination. And love of audacity and innovation is, is another reason why this is a very, very preferred destination. Smart Move Immigration has an advantage. Uh, in terms of representing clients, since we have industry specializations, we have a very, very objective approach. Uh, we have uh, excellent facilitation skills and we are very focused on the end results and implementations on the end results up over here. So that's the confidence why the client uh, instructs us. And these are our presence in, in India. Now, moving on to our today's guest, Ms. Dobrina. She is a qualified immigration attorney from Dallas in Texas, and her firm has been representing clients in corporate immigration, private individuals. Uh, she's represented students, and they do variety of complex cases as far as USA immigration is concerned. It's, it's a very uh, proud and privileged moment to have her with us as a guest today uh, because she's going to give us the first-hand information about the impact that uh, that COVID has in US immigration. And trust me, we, we as a firm have been receiving lots of queries every day from the clients to say, what, what are our thoughts on, you know, how is it going to um, uh, kind of impact students, going to impact the decisions for the employers who have plans to expand in the UK, in the US, or um, the investors who propose to move to uh, US under the investment visa uh, route. And um, therefore, with all these queries, the thought process was let's call our guest and let's get all that information from her to say on what would be the pathway now, given the, the, the chaotic situation that we all are into at this moment. And uh, so, so as it is, the USA challenges were not less, and now the COVID's added <laughs> to those challenges there. Right. So, I'm sure she's got some magic around it. And uh, please uh, welcome, Ms. Dobrina. Thank you so very much for being here today and, and uh, speaking to our uh, clients uh, and, and our prospective clients. A warm welcome to you. Thank you. Thank you for the introduction, and I'm uh, I'm happy to be here and hopefully share um, you know somewhat useful information uh, for for your clients and everybody who has uh, joined us. Um, just a quick. Okay. All right. Um, so, hello everyone. Uh, my name is Dobrina Ustun, and I'm a um, U.S.-based immigration attorney. 
I am, uh, my office is in Dallas, Texas. Um, however, we serve clients from pretty much around the world um, and clients from, of course, from, from India um, in, in different, different capacities, uh, either as an employer or, um, or our investor or a startup uh, or your family or individual individuals. Um, so uh, as everybody knows, COVID has impacted everybody. <laughs> and uh, we have had uh, and still have, of course, um, some turbulent times in terms of mobility. I mean, I'm not even talking about, you know, getting your visa. Um, or you know, scheduling your appointment with the consulate. Um, it has been challenging, I wanna say four years uh, going into the fifth for you know, multiple reasons. Um, and of course, COVID being one of them. Um, the good news, if there's a good news and I don't wanna jinx it, is that US um, is somewhat reopening. People are starting to sort of feel slightly more um, comfortable and confident that the economy is you know, moving forward. Companies are starting um, to you know, look around, to sponsor, to, to hire people. So that's the, that's the good news uh, that you know, we, we have seen. Um, in the last, I want to say, couple months, you know, probably due to the, the vaccine and, you know, COVID, COVID um, uh, infectious rate going down in the United States. Uh, now, having said that, of course, we have the India, you know, ban uh, due to the situation in India. So, uh, you know, we see all these um, challenges now with, you know, people, people traveling, just the traveling uh, by itself. So um, in the presentation, I'm gonna I'm gonna cover a few topics. Uh, so this is the, the outline. So I'm gonna just the recent updates, what has happened in the last couple of months um, that might impact people. Uh, so we have the injured travel ban, obviously, and uh, we have uh, the revival of the International Entrepreneur Parole Program. So uh, I'm gonna go over, over that and kind of give you a little bit of a background. So what's happening with the India travel ban? As probably everybody is aware, um, the United States banned entry of non-immigrants and non-citizens who were present in the Republic of India in the 14 day period. So basically, if you're trying to, if you're not a US citizen or a green card holder uh, right now, um, you won't be able to enter the United States, assuming that you were in India for the last 14 days. Um, so that's a challenge. Also, the other challenge is because of the pandemic, um, the US mission in India has closed uh, the, you know, the US consulates and uh, the embassies. Uh, some ha some are have limit some have limited operations. At least that's what we hear. Um, I believe um, the one in, in Mumbai just tweeted uh, yesterday or a couple of days ago that it's you know if you're planning to go for a visa, you, you know you better plan for at least a few months since they don't even offer uh, services or it's just emergency appointments. So as a result of COVID, we have seen a lot of delays. We have seen people who, uh, went, you know, who work in the US, let's say on H1B and went to India for stamping and now they are stuck, they cannot come back for, uh, you know, because of the ban and obviously the consulate is not working. 
So how does the ban work? So basically um, the ban, um, if you're a non-citizen, if you're non-US citizen and you're not a uh, green card holder, you cannot enter the United States. So that's basically uh, the, you know, the, the idea behind it. Now, of course there are exceptions and uh, we have, so if you're a green card holder, if you're a US citizen, uh, if you're a spouse of US citizen or permanent resident, you um, you can enter the United States. Um, also, if you have, if you're not a citizen, but you have US citizen children who are under 21, um, you, you can also enter the United States. You don't have to be with your children. That's one of the questions that we get. Oh, do we have to be with our, travel with our children? No, you don't, but you have to present birth certificates. So to show that you have somebody who is a US citizen in the United States. Um, now, the, also, if you're traveling on behalf of the U.S. government, you're also exempt from the from the ban. Uh, also, you you if you're uh, if, if you're a non-immigrant, if you're part of the if you can get the national interest exception, you will be able to travel to the to the United States. Um, so for the for the national interest exception to work, there are certain categories that uh, are eligible. That will be your, you know, if you're an immigrant, if you're applying for an immigrant visa, fiance uh, visa. And one of the, you know, one of the big question now is with students. So we have a lot of, we get a lot of questions with students. Oh, I'm on, I mean, like thousands of different scenarios. Unfortunately, um, the Department of State has been pretty vague in terms of, you know, who can enter and you know when you can enter. So for right now, um, you can qualify for the national interest exception only if your academic program uh, or OPT begins August first, uh, 2021 or later. So you can enter uh, the United States 30 days prior to your program. Well, that's very nice, but we have uh, students who are currently on OPT and are in India, or their program doesn't start in August 1st. So what happens to, you know, what happens to, to these people? Uh, basically, what we, what we advise them and what we kind of sort of got from the Department of State is you have to contact your consulate and, uh, you know, make sure that you are, uh, you know, you can, you're part of that national interest exception. Now, one thing about the, 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 the national interest exception and how, how they make those decisions, they actually have pretty broad authority to issue the national interest exception. So even if you think that you might not qualify for whatever reason, um, it's always uh, advisable to, to reach out to them and see uh, see if actually you know they might give it um, to you. So that would be that would be my advice on in terms of whether you you know whether you can get it or whether you qualify because as of right now they haven't really. Um, address each specific situation. And I know there's a lot of people in different situations, especially with students traveling back and forth. Uh, next slide. Um, so, so yeah, this is this is again in terms of the, the students, as I said, uh, 30 days prior to your uh, to your program, if your program starts August 20 August 1st, 2021, or later. Um, also, if you're um, traveling on behalf of the, the U.S. government or providing a critical infrastructure, uh, you will get the national interest exception. Just one uh, example: as of yesterday, I have a client who has uh, been sort of stuck for the last 
you know, at least here in India, um, who is the CFO of a local company. And uh, he was able to get the national interest exception uh, because he, um, yeah, basically he's the CFO of the company and without him, um, the company might not survive here in the United States. So uh, just one example, you know, who can, you know, who can get the national interest exception. And obviously journalists are part of the, the, the exception. So this is, in a nutshell, the the um, the travel ban. One thing that actually I didn't mention here, um, as the as my, my first point was that the travel ban is for people who have been 14 days present in the in in India, 14 day period before they enter the United States. So I'm hearing that some some people are traveling to a third country that you know doesn't require visa for Indian citizen. They're waiting there 14 days and then they enter the United States. Uh, so that, you know, that might be an option because the 14 day, it says only that if you've been in India. Now, if you spend 14 days in Mexico and then enter the United States, you won't be part of the ban. So just, uh, just a thought on, uh, on that um, for, you know, people who might want to consider that option. Okay, so uh, the next update that we have is the International Entrepreneur Program, Parole Program. Uh, we are somewhat excited about it because this actually was kicked off in 2017 and then with the change of administration, um, it was put uh, on hold uh, and now they revived it. So this uh, obviously not everybody will qualify for that, but uh, will give some options for people um, who want to um, have a startup in the United States and are backed by VCs and angel investors and so forth. Uh, so forth. Um, so basically, under the, the rule, the DHS may use parole authority to grant a period of stay. Um, it's up to five years. It's on a case by case basis for foreign entrepreneurs who demonstrate that their stay in the United States would provide a significant benefit um, through their business venture and then that they marry a favorable um, exercise of discretion. So it's discretionary. It's not a visa. Um, it's not a status. You will be paroled in the United States. Uh, under the rule, entrepreneurs granted parole will be eligible to work only for their startup business. So you cannot work for, you know, different companies. The spouse and children of the foreign entrepreneur might be eligible for the parole as well. Spouses can receive autor work authorization um, and will be present in the United States as parolees and children are not eligible to, to work. Uh, it, it might be granted for up to three entrepreneurs per startup entity. So that's the definition of the inter, uh, International Entrepreneur Parole Program. Again, it's not a visa, it's not a status, and uh, it won't lead to a permanent residence. I just want to put that out there because people have started asking already, oh, can I apply for green card after, you know, after I enter under this program? The, 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 the answer is no, perhaps later at some point, but this will not lead to a permanent residency. So who is eligible? So uh, the applicant must uh, have a status Establish U.S. startup business within the five years of the parole of uh, the application for parole. Uh, the applicant must hold ownership interest in the startup at least ten percent. Uh, just move here. Um, 
and the applicant must have an active and essential role in the operation of the business uh, and not merely an investor. So sometimes people ask, well, you know, do I actually have to do anything or can I just put my money and see what happens? No, you have to operate the, the business. Um, and four, the startup must have received capital investment at least of $250,000 from qualified U.S. investors or at least $100,000 in grants or, uh, or awards from qualifying your federal, state, or local government entities. For a national uh, who are um, particularly satisfied the funding criteria must provide additional compelling evidence of the startup's substantial potential for growth and job creation. So um, number four is it's a lot of people say, well, it's very limited. You know, who gets the $150,000 from VCs or angel investors? And if I have that kind of money, I can apply for other things like other visa, you know, uh, like an E2 investor visa if, you know, if you're eligible or L1 and so forth. Well, they unfortunately, some of the, the other visas that are available, um, you will not qualify for with money from VCs or angel investors because for other um, um, startups or other possibilities that you can have a visa um, investor visa in, in the United States, it's actually ha you have to show that it's your money. So uh, this particular program will give opportunities to, to startups that have um, investors, startups that can that have and or the government is investing in your startup and you're getting grants from from the government. So it's again, not everybody qualifies for, for it, but I'm sure that there will be people who will actually will be eligible for this and won't be eligible for anything else. So it just provides us with a small door for provides people with small, small door to enter the United States under this program. Um, approved entrepreneurs are paroled into the United States for initial period for up to 30 months with authorization to work for the startup only. You cannot be freelancing for you know, other, other, uh, other um, companies. Uh, extension for 30 months um, is possible, but obviously you have to demonstrate that the business continues to operate and the entrepreneur uh, retains at least 5% ownership interest in the business and it has created at least five qualifying jobs or received at least um, 500,000 in qualifying investments, government grants or awards, or generated at least $500,000 in US revenue um, and average 20% annual growth. Um, so these are the last three, uh, you have to satisfy only one um, are the requirements for, you know, for, the, for the, the extension. So um, I hope this is somewhat helpful. Uh, my, you know, people might want to think about it. You know, if you're in that position, now you will have a, you know, another option <laughs> or the only option to actually come to the United States and run a business. So, um, so those are the two updates that I had for the last month and a half from the United States, the India travel ban, unfortunately, and uh, on the good side is the entrepreneur uh, parole um, that, you know, they are, in, they are enacted again. 
So in terms of uh, what are other options, um, I'm, I'm going to go over some of the more common um, ways that I have seen Indian nationals enter the United States uh, to mostly to run a business um, or, or to live here. So we have uh, the, it's called the L1A new office. Um, we have seen this quite often uh, from, uh, you know, people from, from India um, who basically have a, the requirement is you have to have a company in India and then you have to come to the United States to open up a subsidiary of that company. And you can transfer yourself as a, either the CEO or a manager uh, in the United States office. Uh, definition is L1A visa is a temporary visa which allows qualified overseas companies to relocate foreign qualified employees to the United States uh, to its US uh, parent branch affiliate or subsidiary of that company. Um, there are specific requirements for the employer, specific requirements for the employee, and additional requirements for the for the new office. So this type of visa, um, so it's it's two types. The it's the L1A, it's the intercompany transfer that big companies use to transfer their managers from India to the United States, and the new office is for smaller companies. Uh, the you know the uh, you have an office in India, and then you wanna you wanna have an office in the United States um, and you want to transfer yourself to the United States and you want to run the business from here and hire employees. So um, next slide. So the specific requirements for the for the employees, the employee must have worked abroad for the overseas company for continuous period of one year within the last three years immediately preceding the admission to the United States. So you have to show that you worked one year for your company um, in, in India. The employee must have been employed abroad, uh, must be employed abroad as an executive or a managerial position. The employee must come to the United States to provide services in an executive or managerial capacity. So it's not for everybody. You have to show that you've been manager um, or an executive uh, in the India entity, and then you have to come to the United States in the in the same capacity, either as an executive or as a manager. If if it's a new office, let's say you know you don't have an entity in the United States, and that's your main purpose to come and open up an entity, the company uh, must have secured a sufficient physical premise to to house the new office. Basically, you have to get an office. The employee has had been employed as an executive manager for one year uh, before they come to the United. States and the new office uh, will support the, the said executive or manager. So the support meaning financially your India company must support you in terms of salary and other expenses during that one year. So we have to show that the India company is actually uh, profitable and is doing well in order to make the argument that it will support the US entity for that one year. And it's required a five year business plan. When we're going to have a new office, we have to have that five-year business plan with hiring projections, you know, uh, marketing studies, and so forth. Um, next, so um, so yeah, so that was uh, in short, that was for for L1A. As I said, um, it's widely used. Um, especially from uh, you know people from India because. Uh, 
if you're Indian national, you don't qualify for the E2, which is the other investor visa that a lot of other countries uh, utilize. But since you know India does not have a treaty, E2 treaty with the United States, that's not an option. Therefore, um, a lot of Indian companies, um, if, when they want to expand into, into the United States, they go uh, through the L1A uh, new office route. Or if they already have an office in the United States, but they you know they want to transfer their manager uh, or an executive from India office to the U.S. office, that's one way to do it. And that way, you know, you don't have to go through the H1B. Madness, uh, or you know, other options that are not available. Um, the other option that I have uh, I have seen um, for you know people from India, for actually people from India that are already in the United States um, and or are in India, is the one um, extraordinary and that's the visa. So what happens is a lot of people apply for the H one B. It's a lottery; they don't get it. And then uh, what do you do from here? Well, some of them um, will qualify for the for the O1 extraordinary ability. Um, and they have to, you have to have an employer or an agency of some sort to sign off on the documents and provide the contract. Um, so it's not a self-petition. You still have to be sponsored. But the good thing about the O1 is if you qualify is there's no lottery. Uh, it's given for initial three years and then you have indefinite extensions every three years uh, until, you know, either you find something else or you, you move back to, you know, to your home country. So um, what is required uh, for, the, for the O1? Um, evidence that the beneficiary has received major international recognized awards such as the Nobel Prize or, or at least three of the following. So usually people go with at least three of the following. Uh, not everybody has received the Nobel Prize. Um, so what are the three of the following? So you have to have a, um, a receipt of national or international uh, recognized prizes or membership in association in a field that requires outstanding achievements or published material in professional or major trade publication, newspapers or other major media or original scientific scholarly or business related contributions uh, to the field, um, authorship of scholarly articles in professional journals, high salary or other uh, remuneration for services. And you know, obviously we have to show that you've made the money. Uh, part, uh, participation in a panel or individually as a judge of uh, the work of others and employment in a critical essential capacity for organizations and establishments that have distinguished reputation. So it might sound scary, but in reality, um, there are people who actually satisfy at least three of these uh, requirements. And it's just, of course, it's not everybody, uh, but we have the clients, uh, you know, software developer, uh, for example, um, that has developed this unique tax software that he's pr probably the only one in the United States that has that, that particular product. And obviously, as a result of that, he has been on a panel judging startups. Uh, he has published a couple of things. Um, and he has joined, uh, you know, different organizations uh, as a member. So here we go. We have the three, uh, the three requirements. Um, so it is worth, let's say you, if you're in the United States or in India and you didn't make the H-1B cap, um, depending, depending on your qualifications and situation at the moment, uh, it might be worth exploring one of these options. 
Okay, next. And um, this is the other uh, type of, um, so actually this is a green card that I have seen people use to come to the, either they're in the United States or they're outside the United States and applying for a, for a green card. So this is the EB1A, this is extraordinary ability, but the green card. So we have the O1 was the visa, generally easier to get than the green card. So for the, for the green card, um, here's what happens, especially for um, Indian nationals. So usually you are either in the United States or planning to come to the United States and uh, the employer will sponsor for green card. The, and you're gonna be either in the EB2 category or the EB3 employment-based um, category. And if you are in one of those or both, um, you're waiting for your green card for 10 years, 20 years uh, because of the backlogs. So what's at least what I have seen is some people, obviously you have to qualify, um, they wanna sort of upgrade to the EB1 um, extraordinary ability, which is current at the moment, meaning that you can file for your permanent residency uh, at the time of application. So um, there's a lot of people are trying to do that um, and uh, some are qualified and some are not. Um, so it, it has been certainly in the last few years, especially with the backlogs that, you know, we have seen one of the things that, you know, uh, people will um, try to do. Uh, it doesn't work for everybody. As I said, you have to be qualified. And uh, what are the qualifications? Again, you have to meet three out of the 10 criteria um, or provide evidence of one-time achievement, like you know, an Oscar, Olympic medal, uh, and so forth. Obviously, again, we go with the three, I mean, um, three out of the 10 criteria, not everybody has an Oscar or you know, like a Nobel Prize. Um, so the criteria here is very similar to the O1. It's actually almost the same. But the way USCIS or Immigration Services adjudicates this, uh, these, um, it's very different. So it's much harder to get the, the green card than the, the visa, the, the O1 Extraordinary Ability Visa. So again, the criteria evidence of receipt of um, national or international, award of national or international um, importance evidence of membership in associations the way you have to be invited it cannot be something where you know i just sign up online pay 20 bucks and i become a member you actually have to be invited uh based on your um accomplishments um um in in your field um evidence that you have been a judge the work of others you know it could be you know it could be a judge uh, for uh, for a startup it could be a judge in, in school uh, it could be a, um if you've reviewed papers for journals you know that could be used to satisfy this criteria evidence of your original scientific, scholarly, or business-related contribution in the field, evidence of authorship of scholarly articles, evidence of your work has been displayed at artistic um, exhibition or showcases. Obviously, you know, this is more for the artists, but if you have, if you have a lot of um, conferences that you have presented at, we can use that to show basically the to satisfy the showcase uh, requirement because it, technically if you are in front of people and you're sharing your expertise that's kind of you're showcasing what you know and what you've accomplished so there's an argument there 
evidence of your performance of leading or critical role in distinguished organizations, and um, evidence of high salary. And the last one, um, it's only for the artist. So these are the requirements. You have to satisfy three out of the 10 uh, for when it comes to the green card. You, it's much, I mean, it's recommended that you actually satisfy at least five. Um, so, so this is, but it's a, it is an option. And actually we currently have clients that are um, in the IT industry that have actually achieved um, some kind of notoriety in their field. And they're trying to, you know, to apply for for this type of, um, you know, for for this type of green card. Um, I think that's my last slide. <laughs> and um, here's my information. If you have any questions, or if there are any questions in the chat, you know, I, I will be happy to to address. Obviously, I didn't cover all U.S. immigration. Uh, there's other, uh, you know, other types of 